You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, my name is Justin. I'm a pastor here. If you don't know me, it's good to be with you today. And as we start today, um, I don't know if you ever heard of this term, it's called uh, liminal space. It's a theological and psychological term. And here's what, it's, what it means. I'll just read this to you. I think we have it here. It is the intermediate state, or intermediate, in between transitional state, where you cannot go back to where you were because a threshold has been crossed and you, cannot, and you have not arrived at where you are going because it's not available to you yet. Essentially, it's the hallway between the past and the future. You can't go back to what was, and you haven't yet arrived at what is. And as I read this, I was reading a book called uh, Leadership Pain that was recommended to me, and it was really, it's been really good, but this was one of the stories, and I thought, man, that's exactly where we are as a church. We can't go back to where we were, can't go back to the why, the way we were doing things, but we have not yet arrived at where we are going and what this is going to look like. So we're all living in this liminal space. Do you feel that with me? I feel that. There's unsettledness. There can be anxiety. There can be fear. It's not a very pleasant place to be. And so I just wanted to say, if you're having some of those feelings, anxiety, fear, maybe despair or even hopelessness, that's okay. I want you to hear it's okay to to be where you're at. I felt some of those things because liminal space isn't really a fun place to live, but it's where we are and it's where God has us. And the truth is, when we look at um, the story of the church, the church, this church age that we live in, is really just one big liminal space, okay? It's, it's the time where Jesus came and he began his kingdom, but he hasn't yet brought his kingdom to fullness yet. It's what theologians call the already not yet. And so, for example, we've been saved at the cross, yet scripture says we are being saved, and the day will come when we are finally saved at the day of the Lord. And so we're all kind of living in this already not yet space. And so the question then, well, what is our source of hope in this liminal space? What is our source of encouragement? What's our source of empowerment in this time? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. Yeah, actually, no, yes, but uh, the answer is God. But more specifically, the tangible answer to this is actually the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit. We are continuing our Live Expectantly series, the story of the church then and now. And we started it last week and we looked at the story beginning with Jesus. And today we're going to continue it on one of the most significant events in all of history, the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at why is this historically significant, but then we're going to ask practically what does this mean for us? What does the activity of the Holy Spirit look like in the New Testament And then we're going to ask this question we've been asking, what is for then and what is for now? How much of it is just for the book of Acts in the New Testament, and how much of it should we expect to see now? And so uh, I'll just tell you what I think. I believe, with perhaps a few exceptions, what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the New Testament is exactly what we should expect the Holy Spirit to be doing now. And the problem, I think, for us here in the West was captured by Francis Chan's book in 2009 called The Forgotten God, The Tragic Legacy of Neglecting the Holy Spirit. 
Because the truth is, we have a lot of things here. We have a lot of technology. We don't necessarily need God to show up in some of the ways that other parts of the world do, where they would see more of these things. And so I began to ponder this back in the fall of 221, uh, 221, 2021. <laughs> and, then, and I feel like the Lord put this question on my heart, and it was, if there's a lack of passion or drive or fervency uh, for mission in, the, in, the, in myself or in the church, what is likely the cause of that? And the answer that I came to was, well, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's his job. Part of what he does is empower us to witness for Jesus, as we'll see today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to begin to peer into the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then we'll move to chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, and look at Pentecost and the beginning of Peter's sermon. And, um, you know, the book of Acts has actually been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit by some um, theologians. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look into that and say, what does this mean for me today? What do I take away from this? So let me pray for us, for the Holy Spirit to come and help us, and then we'll jump into this text. Father, I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to change us, to regenerate us, to convict us, to transform us, to bring us to a greater clarity of who you are, to bring us to a greater character of what you've called us to be, and to lead us in the life that you've called for each of us. And so Holy Spirit, I ask you'd come now and bring your word to life and power, that we would be stirred and moved to love and, and good works, and we'd be encouraged together as we see you at work. And so we give you this time, and we ask you to move today in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Well, just briefly, I think we saw that graphic. Can you throw that graphic back up? This is what we said last week. Really, as we looked at the story of the church in the New Testament, there's really three parts. It begins in the Gospels. We said what Jesus began, we're called to finish, which picks up in the book of Acts. And then really, the book of Revelation tells the end of the story. How's it all going to end? And then we have these 21 letters the epistles, which are hoping to clarify and give instruction to those churches that were planted in the book of Acts and elsewhere. And so we're going to jump into the book of Acts here. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is kind of the railway, railway house for the entire book of Acts. It kind of sets the trajectory of what's going to be happening in the book of Acts. So here's what we read. But you will receive power. This is Jesus talking to the disciples just before he ascends. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so just a couple brief observations here. You will receive power. So we underline that, power. The word there is dunamai, where we get dynamite. This is active power. And when we look through the book of Acts, this word power is often associated with the Holy Spirit and often associated with miraculous works that are occurring. Second observation, the Holy Spirit is the source of that power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will be my witnesses, and it's really good to not get those backwards, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and then you will witness to Jesus. You will witness to the kingdom of God. And to what extent? Observation number four, to the ends of the earth. It will start here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is still playing out even in our own day. The gospel of the kingdom is still going to the ends of the earth until every tongue, tribe, and nation has access to the gospel. Amen. So now here was the promised spirit. So now let's look at the spirit actually coming. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. Here's what we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, now Pentecost, real quick, that's 50 days, Pente, 50 days after Passover, Big celebration for um, the Jewish people. The day of Pentecost arrived. They were all gathered in one place. That they 
is probably the 120 disciples that were mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. So here they're all sitting in the upper room. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound, this, at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and uh, were saying, Are not all those, these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, They are filled with new wine." So, what is happening here? This is, uh, as I said, one of the most significant events in history, Pentecost. And so I want to talk about three things that I see happening here. One is the birth of the church. Number two is that the kingdom of God has been opened to all nations. And number three, it's the dawn of a new age. So let's look at the birth of the church. And I say that because I'm defining church as uh, people that are filled with God's Spirit. As Jesus promised in John 14, 17, He said the Holy Spirit is with you, but He will be in you. And so something significantly shifted on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of His believers, the birth of the church, and therefore they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is when you look at Jesus' baptism and what happens at Pentecost, there are some similarities. And I just take this to underscore that we, as I said last week, are the body of Christ on earth filled with the Spirit of Christ. So as we look at the baptism of Jesus, a couple similarities we see. Number one, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at His baptism while He was praying. Luke 3, uh, 21-22. It says, And He was praying, and the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form. And then Luke chapter 4, right after that, it says, And Jesus, full of the Spirit, He goes into the wilderness, and He goes and endures 40 days of temptation. And then as He's coming out of that, it says this in Luke 4.14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, interesting. He's baptized, the Spirit descends, He goes full of the Spirit, but He returns in the power of the Spirit. And then right after that, He begins His public ministry. He begins preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's real interesting because what happens at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends, the believers are filled, and they're empowered for ministry, as the speaking in tongues in different languages demonstrates in the whole book of Acts. So that's the first point. This was the birth of the church. But number two here, the kingdom of God is open to all. Now, what actually happened at Pentecost? Okay, There's all sorts of theories and interesting theological points about Pentecost, and some denominations, I think, take this too far. But what's actually happened here? Okay, something significant. These divided tongues, these divided languages. The Greek word is glossolalia or something like that. It just means languages. Now, think in the Bible. When, when is another time in the Bible where God does something significant with languages? Babel, right? We all know this. They would have known this. Genesis 11, what happens? 
all the people, they're gathering together. They have a common language. They're building this, this tower so they can reach heaven and not need God anymore. And God says, uh-uh, that's not good for you, and it's not glorifying to me. And so he confuses their language, and they disperse. What's happening at Pentecost is the reversal of what happened at Babel. Okay, God disperses the people, and now he's bringing them back, and now he gives different languages, divided or dispersed languages, so all the nations can now hear the gospel proclaimed supernaturally in this first event. Right? We read that list of nations, 15 different nations from all over the world. They were hearing uh, the gospel preached, as Peter's about to do, and they're going to take that back to their particular homeland. And so this is significant. This is that the Gentiles are now included in the kingdom of God. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, what is this mystery? Here's the mystery of God, that the Gentiles are included. This was a big deal for the Jewish people. This was a big deal for God to do. So the second thing he's done here is he's reversing what happened at Babel. He's opened the doors to the kingdom of God to anyone and everyone. And the third thing we see here is the dawning of a new age. And this is really astounding. Peter gets up and he, he, tells, he tells them by the power of the Spirit what's just occurred. So let's look at verses 14 to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the only, only the third hour of the day. It's about 9 a.m., so you don't get drunk before 9 a.m. Everyone knows that. Um, <clears throat> But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he's quoting Joel in verse 17 to 21. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Joel was written 700 years to 1,000 years before Pentecost happens. So listen to what Peter is saying. He's saying what Joel said 700 years ago just happened. Just like when, when Jesus gets up in the synagogue, right, and he reads Isaiah 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And then he says, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Peter says the same thing about Pentecost. This just happened. But listen to what Joel is saying. He's saying, in the last days, God will pour out my spirit. Peter is saying, the last days just began. We are in the last days, what's called the eschaton, the eschatology, it's the study of the last days. And we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years now, okay? But this is significant to grasp. Something has shifted. We are in a new age, the age of the Spirit, the age of the church, this overlap of this present age and the future age of the kingdom breaking into now. This is where we're living Sorry, throat's a little dry. So these last days, of course, will culminate in what he said, the day of the Lord, the last day, the day of judgment spoken of in Revelation 20, 
all over the prophets, all over the New Testament. So here we are, as we said last week, I showed you, here's where we are. We're all somewhere in the book of Revelation before Jesus comes back. And that's just important for us to know that a new age has dawned, the, dawn, uh, the age of the Spirit. We'll say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What's different now? And Peter just tells us some of the things that are different. <clears throat> First off, the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. Okay, that doesn't, probably doesn't mean every single person is going to receive the Spirit of God. What it means is all kinds of people. And we know that from the context it says, even your female and male servants, they will uh, prophesy. And so God is saying the Spirit is coming without distinction. It's open, it's available to anyone, any race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, whatever it is, the Spirit of God is open to anyone. Well, there is one distinction. Repentance. Repentance is necessary to enter into the kingdom of God, right? It's what Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Peter says at the end of his sermon, right? He says this, and it says the men were cut to heart, and they cried out, and they said, what do we do? If this is true, what do we do? And here's Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And so repentance is what we're all called to do. It's the entry point into the kingdom of God, and it's made available through the crucified King, Jesus, dying for our sins and allowing us to be reconciled to the family of God, and to receive the Holy Spirit. So that's the historical significance of Pentecost. Now, practically, what does that mean? What did that mean for them? What does that mean for us? What are these signs of the new age, of the kingdom of God? And he just told us uh, one of them. He says, here's what's going to happen. Your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. They're going to speak the words of God. Okay. Now, I think there's a distinction between Old Testament prophets and what we see in New Testament prophecy, but that's another sermon for another day. He's saying everyone, men, women, even servants, they'll be able to prophesy because the Spirit of God comes without distinction. So this will be one of the signs, uh, dreaming dreams and visions. And so as we look to the book of Acts and to the New Testament, we see exactly these things playing out, right? So what I want to do is I want to look at then just... Uh, Three categories of the activity of the Spirit in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And I'll, and I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll talk about them. Number one is the fruit of the Spirit. Number two is the guidance of the Spirit. Number three are the gifts of the Spirit. Now, before I say, before I talk about those, there are other things the Holy Spirit does. Probably the most important is the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit, through the new birth, what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, that you must be born again, you must be born of the Spirit, you must be born from above. That's the Holy Spirit that makes us alive to Christ. We're Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's important to remember at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us and makes you alive in Christ. All right? <clears throat> now, let's look at these, the fruit of the Spirit. This is probably the one that we're most comfortable with and most familiar. It comes from Galatians 5. So I'll just read verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so what Paul's talking about is inside of all of us, even though we've been saved, we still struggle with sin, right? The already, not yet. And so the language of the flesh, that's our sinful desires, are at war with the Holy Spirit within us. And they're battling it out, Galatians 5 said. So I said, if we live by the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And really what he's talking about is our growth in Christ-likeness. That all these things demonstrate who Christ was. And so we're growing in our character through the work of sanctification, through the work of transformation, whereby which we are partnering with the Holy Spirit in some mysterious way to be made more like Jesus. Okay? So this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us. He makes us, uh, he, he makes us more like Christ in character. The second thing then here is the guidance of the Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, all who are, uh, uh, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we see this in places like Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. This is uh, Paul and his companions, I think, on their second missionary journey. Let me read this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of Asia. And when they had come, upon, uh, come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so here we see, it doesn't say how he did this, but the Holy Spirit is guiding their steps. He forbids them to enter into this region for ministry, for his own sovereign purposes. But the point is, we see the Holy Spirit guiding the church. And one of the ways that he often does that is just through speaking through us. And he speaks to us through the Word of God. He speaks through others. He speaks through these, I think, an internal voice uh, um, that's from God, through impressions, uh, pictures, feelings at times. And so a couple examples from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 19. This is Peter. He's just had this vision of all these animals coming down to include the Gentiles. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, another one. This is before they send out Saul and Barnabas. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Paul saying that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so, this is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit leads His people. He speaks to you. He will speak to you. Have you ever heard the voice of God in your heart, in your mind? You ever had that experience? It's really easy to miss because it's so often this gentle, still, small voice. And so we often, I think, miss it. I think... I think God actually talks to us a lot more than we realize. And so, how do you learn to hear the voice of God? Dallas Willard, in his book, Hearing God, gives us three indications that what you're hearing is the voice of God. And the first is this content, what you're hearing. What you're hearing, if it's the Spirit of God, will never contradict Scripture, right? The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to leave your wife or your husband and marry someone else. Hey, that's contrary to what the Word of God teaches. So this is the best way to know that this is the Holy Spirit. It doesn't contradict Scripture, okay? Secondly, there's a quality to the voice. There's a tone to it. Just like you recognize your spouse's voice or your mother's voice or your father's voice, right? There's something about that. You just know that is their voice. And number three, the character. There's a kindness to it, but a firmness. There's a weightiness to it. It's something that you just learn that, yes, this is the voice of God. And it takes practice to learn to hear the voice of God. So 
You want to do a little exercise of what, what it might sound like to hear the voice of God? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> this, is pretty, this is pretty easy. So just close your eyes. Okay? Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And in your mind, I just want you to say your name to yourself in your mind. Okay? That's what it might sound like. So that just sounds like my own voice, my own thoughts. Yeah. It often sounds like it just might be your own thoughts. But I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us in those ways. So again, it takes practice to discern. And often the practice is we need to follow it, and it's the fruit that helps us determine, was that the voice of God? Was that my own thought? Or was that something worse? Okay? What about like receiving an impression or a picture? You can close your eyes again. Okay, take a deep breath. Close your eyes. I just want you to bring to mind an image of your front door. Hey, can you see that? Okay. That's how gentle and faint the, an image may come on our impression. Okay. Just because it feels like your own thoughts doesn't mean it necessarily is. Okay. So this is how we can learn to hear the voice of God, this still small voice that we learn about. So the fruit of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit, and now, number three, the gifts of the Spirit. And this third category is probably the most controversial due to abuse and misuse in certain strands of Christianity. But the gifts are listed in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and are mentioned in 1 uh, Peter 4, 11. So let me just read one of those, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 11. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance or word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And that last verse is really important. It's the Spirit who sovereignly gives gifts to whom he wills. Now, um, I believe that the gifts are for today. Not every church denomination, not every church uh, believes that this is true. I have come to believe that it is. And I think we see them in the book of Acts. And I think we see them in our own day. So let me just point to a couple of these playing out in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. So some miraculous works and healing here. Peter and James, they heal a lame beggar in Acts chapter 3. They're just walking along, and they see this guy. It says they gazed at him intently, and they said to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then a couple of verses later, they're, they're talking to the people. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you share, stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? We made him walk by faith in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the peoples. Uh, Philip in Acts 8, 13 that even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Paul in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, moving to prophetic stuff. Agabus, the prophet, in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. 
Philip's daughters in Acts 21, verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Uh, the prophets Judas and Silas are mentioned in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And what about the gifts of teaching or preaching as we look to Peter's sermons or Paul's teaching? All those things are empowered by the Spirit. This is, of course, was true of Jesus as well in Acts 10, 38. He says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so as we said last week, what Jesus began, we continued. We have the same mission, we have the same power, we have the same Lord and Savior. So let's look at just one example of, I think, some of these gifts in operation. Acts chapter 14, verse 8 to 10. It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, I'm going to speculate here, but one has to wonder, how did Paul know this man had faith to be healed? You ever thought about that? He is staring. It says it's it's emphatic. He's staring intently at this man. There was something about this man or something. Maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to him or gave him an impression or maybe he had a word of knowledge. I don't know whatever it is, but something happened there where Paul recognized that this man had the faith to heal. And that's why he said what he said. Now, Paul, of course, had to act on that thought. He had to say this to the man in order for him to stand up and be healed. So again, we're speculating here, but I think these are the gifts of the Spirit at, uh, in operation here. So these are the activities of the Spirit in the book of Acts and the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. I say, why does this matter? Why are you telling me all this? And here's why I think what was true then is true now. I don't read the book of Acts in the New Testament anymore as if that was something that just happened back then. I think it's something that is happening now because we are in the last days. We are in the age of the Spirit. We are in the church age. And this, again, was a journey that I began back in the fall of 2021 as I was asking myself that question Where's the power? Where's the passion in the church? Perhaps it's missing in my life. Perhaps it's missing in the church because we've not walked with the Holy Spirit. We've not learned to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, to follow the guidance of the Spirit, and to be sanctified into the fruit of the Spirit. So I think what we see then, we also see now. And let me give you three reasons why I think this is true. Number one, we have the same mission. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Lord and Savior as the early church had. This gospel of the kingdom began with Jesus, continued in Acts, and is still going to the end of the earth. Number two, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says we should not expect these kinds of things to happen. In fact, it actually says the opposite. It says we should expect God to move in big ways. Jesus himself says, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. That calls us to this kind of big faith. Furthermore, we read like in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul instructs the Corinthians, which by the way, he wrote this whole section of 1 Corinthians 12-14 to was to correct the misuse of spiritual gifts. 
And so we have this section to instruct us, what are these supposed to look like in a biblical way? But here's what he says in uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's what Paul is saying to the church. We should desire these things. And number three, we see the same kind of things happening today. And we have for the last 2,000 years, especially on frontier missions where the gospel is breaking new ground. We see signs and wonders happening. And I'm going to share a story with you in a moment. But even here in the West, a 2016 Barna survey said that 27% of Americans say they've experienced a physical healing that could not be explained as a, that could only be explained as a miraculous healing and not solely as a result of normal process, medical procedure, or the body healing itself. He said more than a third of Americans claim to have witnessed or experienced what they believe to be a divine healing. Another study suggested that three-quarters of doctors in the United States believe in miracles. And more important, over half of the physicians surveyed noted that they had witnessed what they considered to be a miracle. And so I think these are still happening today, even in the West. And so let me share with you a story from a book called Miraculous Movements, where they're documenting how the gospel's been moving in predominantly Muslim lands. Here's what we read. In a 2008 report by their missionary teams indicated that depending on region, a minimum of 50% and a maximum of 70% of all new church plants among Muslims happened in part because of signs and wonders, typically miracles of healing and deliverance, and accelerated and facilitated this process of disciple-making. One such story is the story of Desta, here told in his own words. I had been a church planner for some years when I received training in how to make disciples the way Jesus did. We really did not know how it might work, but we wanted to try and see. My friend Samuel had planned to go with me to a certain Muslim village. In my strategy, I had taken a map and made a note for my team to avoid one community because it was too harshly Islamic and a very dangerous place for Christians. So Samuel and I headed out on my motorcycle to our distant destination. We had been riding all day, very hot, uncomfortable, and we were looking forward to getting there because besides being tired, we were riding through some of the areas that are most hostile to Christians, the very town that I had warned others to avoid at all costs, in fact. And that was when the motorcycle broke down. I started to groan, why should I have this motorcycle break down? You can't even ask someone from this village for water because they are Muslims. They will see me coming and think they will defile themselves just by speaking to me. So why? I guess I was speaking to God, but it didn't feel much like a prayer. So I tried to use my own ideas and methods to fix the bike, but nothing worked. We stood there thinking what to do. It was too far to walk, pushing the bike. We were out of ideas. And that's when we heard the loud crying. It was more like wailing, actually. Many people were moaning in the village nearby. It was getting dark now, and the sound made goosebumps on my arms. But, it felt, but I felt like something was telling me to go and find out what was happening. Samuel asked someone who was walking past, and he said that the chief's wife had died that afternoon. It was too late to bury her. They would do that in the morning, but now they were wailing for her. A voice kept telling me, go up and see what is happening there. So I told Samuel, wait here, I'm going to find out what it's all about. I felt frightened. Or you can come with me, I added. So we went together into the village, feeling very nervous and confused. I didn't even speak their dialect, though Samuel understood it. But my conscience kept saying, go and see, don't stand back. So we obeyed and went. All the men in the village, they moved into our way as we walked in because they wanted to do their ceremonies and wanted us to leave. 
But I kept walking, pushing my way through, and Samuel was behind me. Then I saw the corpse, and something told me to start praying. I had never done this before, praying for a dead person. I prayed for the sick, but never for those already dead. But something was battling within myself. I couldn't see any urgency to pray for this woman. She was already dead. Then Samuel pulled my sleeve. They are making announcements, he said in my ear. They're calling the village back together. They want to get on with the ceremonies. We should leave now. But then, as, but then I was really struggling. If I pray and nothing happens, I wondered, how can we get out of this place? What will they do to us? But something kept saying, go and pray. The urgency was so strong on me that I had to obey. So I told the people that I wanted to pray for the chief's dead wife. They made some comments, but I couldn't understand them anyway. So I just went up to the body and started to pray. It was a loud and violent prayer. God filled me with extraordinary strength to pray and continue praying. So I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. (coughs) People around me were commenting, but I just kept praying. I prayed very loud for one hour. I called her by name, asking God to send her back to her people. I called upon the name of Jesus and asked him to revive the life of this person as he did when he was on earth. I prayed for an hour and a half. Then I started to feel warmth in her hand. Then I started to feel a heartbeat. So I continued praying and praying, and the crowd started to get angry. Let's remove this man, someone said. He's wasting our time, others pushed in and said. No, let him continue. It is Allah who has sent him. And then the woman opened her eyes. Everybody started shouting. The woman screamed. She has opened her eyes. The mourner stopped wailing. Even the women stopped crying. I could hardly stand up because everybody was pushing against me, trying to see the dead woman come back to life. Then she sat up and asked, may I have some water? She sat there and asked for water. What could we do? Someone ran up with a bottle and we gave it to her. Then everyone stopped making noise. It became very quiet. Everyone was speechless, watching the dead woman drinking. Then the crowd moved back and everyone stopped staring at the chief's wife and now they were staring at me. These people are wonderful men, someone shouted. They have raised the dead. And the Spirit of God told me, tell them who Jesus is. I said, chief elders of this village, I thank you all for thinking that we are great men. That is very nice, but I want, to, I want you to know something. The greatness that you are seeing is not because of us. We are just ordinary people, but there is a man named Jesus. And then I told them the truth about God's free gift of salvation, and I prayed for them. And when I finished praying, I was thinking about leaving. Quickly, I was thinking, what if this is not permanent? What if she will die? <coughs> Maybe she will die again. If she dies again, then... But the people would not let us leave. They compelled us. They said, oh no, you are not leaving. Maybe they were thinking the same thing. So they helped her walk into the house and she got into bed because she was very weak and tired. Then they brought sleeping mats for us and they put us in the next room beside the chief's bedroom. And that is where we spent the night. We spent the night there, but we did not sleep much. What would happen in the morning? But the next morning she was still alive and she was still alive to this day. So in the morning, the chief came to us and said this, I want to thank God for you. I am born Muslim, and I am not going to renounce that faith, but from today, by God's grace, I believe you're Jesus. This was a little confusing, but then he continued, listen, he said, there has been a law here that nothing like Christianity, like the name of Jesus, nobody can say it, nobody can even hear it, but because your Jesus has raised this woman, my wife, because he has raised her from being dead, today I am lifting the ban. Anyone in this village who wants to become a Christian can become a Christian. The woman whom you have raised, her children, whoever, anyone who wants to become can become a Christian. Then he pointed to a wide building down the road. That is a community school. And he said, if you want to start praying there, you can start coming there and praying for our people. The Spirit of God spoke to me again. It was I who stopped you from leaving this place. He said, and the reason for that is you have 
for you to have a time of prayer. So I asked the chief to gather the people of the village, but he didn't have to do much. Everyone was already there to see if his wife was still alive. We stood out in front and Samuel called, we want to pray for everybody. If you are sick, if you have any problems, come to the community school and we will pray for you. Many people came and we prayed for them, praying for many different needs. Then I told them about Jesus again and Samuel translated. And at the end of that day, 76 people gave their lives to Jesus, men, women, and children. And that is how a church was planted in that community. This was about 20 years ago, okay, not 2,000 years ago. We have the same mission and the same power. What Jesus began, we we're called to finish, and we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, dependent on Him, walking with Him, hearing from Him, doing what He says. What would it look like for us to begin to live more expectantly for God to move in powerful ways? I think one of the most important things we can do is continue to learn the voice of our Father and of Jesus, who died for our sins to bring us into relationship with God, that we might live by faith and not by sight. So my question for you is, do you believe this story? What do you believe about the activity of the Holy Spirit today? Do you believe he lives inside of you and he will lead you? Will you take those steps to grow in intimacy with God and learn the voice of God and then do what he says? Would you commit yourselves to witness to Jesus? Because that's where these things are happening. We're committed to evangelism. And in an increasingly secular world, I'm beginning to think miraculous works are going to be the apologetic of the future here. To say, look what God did. And people will come to faith just like in this story. And so that's my call to us. To invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 5 says. And to walk by the Spirit. And to learn the voice of the Spirit. And let's see what, my God, what God might do in this church. Amen? So I actually want to call you guys to respond, even right now. And we're going to have just, I think, one elder couple just over here, um, if anyone wants to be prayed for. And here's the thing. Like, we all know we're supposed to be prayed for, right? Uh, but it's so hard for us sometimes to come up and pray. So I think there's probably some people in this room that are going through something difficult. Maybe you need to be healed from something. Maybe it's an emotional wound. Maybe it's something else. I want to encourage you to just come up and be prayed for because God works through his people, right? I want to move us into a more participatory, participatory, participatory time here on Sunday, both praying and being prayed for. So I'm going to pray for us in a moment. But as we're just going to do this during the last worship set, I just want you to ask God, because I think someone here, God's going to say, go and get prayed for. And you're going to hear, no, that's dumb. That's just my own voice. Nothing's going to happen. And I just want to remind you what Paul did, right? He saw this man had faith, but he had to act on it. And he had to say, stand up. And for us, when we feel that nudging of the Spirit, it's best to obey and come and get prayed for it. Who knows what God might do even today? Amen? So we're going to be over here for the, the last two songs. I encourage you to come and be prayed for. And um, let me pray for us, and we'll move into worship. Father, we thank you for the fact that you're moving in power that you did in the book of Acts, that you did in the New Testament, and all sorts of things happen in the book of Revelation. And so, God, I pray for this church, for everyone here, those of us who struggle to believe, 
those of us who have fear about some of these things, Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister to us, that you would fill us anew, fill us to overflowing. Lord, as Jesus said, that out of your hearts will come these streams of living water. And so come, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to descend now and minister among your people. We want to know your love. We want to know your power. We want to know your presence. And we want to know the name of Jesus even more and more. And so thank you, Jesus, for who you are. You are the giver of life. You are the healer. You are the creator. And so we give you this time. We give you our lives. We give you our struggles. We give you our burdens. We give you our problems. We give you the things we don't understand. And we ask you to come now, Lord Jesus, and be merciful. We love you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.